You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. Getting us started for these final couple days of January. We're about to make that transition into February on Wednesday with the arrival of that traditional signing day in college football. Certainly not what it used to be across the landscape. December is where the heavy lifting gets done now. But as we've seen from Penn State in the past, there are pieces to be found on this February signing day. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in the episode with Tyler Calvaruzzo our resident recruiting expert at Lions247.com. But we bring him in first off to address a long-term addition to Penn State's program plans and comes in the form of their first 2025 class commitment. It's Jalen Matthews out of Toms River North in New Jersey. Young man is only halfway through high school in his career, but he's six foot five, 290, number 86 overall in 24-7 sports early assessment of this current high school sophomore class. Guys that are going to be juniors next year on the field. Number six offensive tackle and the number three player out of New Jersey. I know Tyler Calvaruso, you have been documenting the final stretch of this recruitment uh, up on the board leading up to the announcement, which came around 1130 a.m. on a Monday morning. We're coming to you a little bit earlier here in the week to address that commitment and several other things. We'll have Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon to break down Penn State's roller coaster ride in basketball a little bit later. But as I said, we begin here, Tyler. A long way to go to the finish line with Matthews, but hell of a start for Nittany Lions in that 2025 cycle. Yeah, it, it's a big commitment. I mean, figuratively and literally, Matthews is already such a force on the offensive line. You see it on his tape. And, you know, his spot in the rankings reflects that. We're talking about you're starting the class with a top 100 kid and one who has a legitimate chance to really rise into the top 50 area, in my opinion. I got to see Matthews in person earlier this year when Tom's River North played at Rutgers. And you could just tell that while he's still early in his development, there's still elements of his game that need to change. You know, technique needs to be a little bit more consistent. Definitely needs to add a little bit more upper body mass. I think that was something that we noticed when he camped at Penn State in late July. But it's also worth noting while he did camp at Penn State in late July, Phil Trowin was all over him, giving him a lot of increased attention and really working with him one-on-one. And there was a lot of positive buzz coming out of that experience at Penn State. And there was even more positive buzz coming out of his junior day visit. So... Really perfect storm for Penn State in that regard. It all came together nicely. I think a little bit quicker than anyone kind of ever really could have anticipated. It didn't seem like Matthews was ever really in a rush to wrap up his recruitment so early at any juncture. But, hey, look, it all came together. It looks like he delivered the good news to James Franklin on Saturday. And here we are now on a Monday after Monday morning talking about this commitment. Now, you know, it's 2023. Matthews is a 2025 guy. We, uh, we got to acknowledge the elephant in the room. Will this stick? We'll see. You know, there's a long way to go. The one thing I could say for sure is Penn State's going to stay on Matthews no matter what. They're going to recruit him as hard as they have been now that he's committed. And nothing changes in that regard. So it's going to be a long road till you know, 2025. But Penn State, you, you can't really complain about starting 
your class in this manner. It's, it's a splash, and Phil Trowin deserves a lot of credit for that. I think you're starting to see him a little bit more unleashed on the trail, and that speaks to him going out and getting a guy from South Jersey with such a high ceiling. Yeah, high ceiling and an impressive offer sheet for where he's at in his mm-hmm. career. This isn't the case of, of a guy leaping at his first, you know, national level level kind of power five offer. He had an, uh, an offer from nearby Rutgers. That was in his top five. But so were Ohio State, Georgia, and Miami, along with Penn State, as, as he was getting down to the final stretch of his decision. Committed while he was on campus. We'll talk about the junior day event that he that he attended uh, this past Saturday and, and, and how that impacts other recruiting plans in a bit with you, Tyler. But just focusing on Matthews in this edition uh, for, for Phil Troutwine, we've talked so much about the step forward for that unit on the field in 2022, what it meant to the program's fortunes, what it appears to mean to their 2023 expectations with six offensive linemen coming back who started five games last year. But looking forward, we've talked about those three freshmen who've come to campus and Javen Williams, Alex Birchmeyer, Anthony Donko. They're underway with that college transition. You've got Cooper Cousins, uh, the the offensive lineman out of Erie, Pennsylvania, longtime commit now in your 2024 recruiting class. And now you start with the major splash, a guy who had programs from all over college football already sniffing around him there in New Jersey. This is a really another another big step for Phil Trowell. And I know it's probably a personal one for him, too, because not too far away from where he played his high school football down in Voorhees. I think it's within an hour or so of Tom's River. I think it kind of just goes back to what I just said. I think he's been a little bit more unleashed these last couple cycles. You saw it with going out and getting Birchmeyer really early. Like going out and locking a player of that caliber in early for the 2023 class was a big deal. And it kind of set the foundation. And you're seeing that with Matthews, you know, albeit much earlier than Birchmeyer ever committed. But when Trowin could go out and get these kinds of guys, regardless of the time frame, regardless of, you know, you, how far in advance of a commitment this is, recruits take notice because he's already built a good relationship with a lot of their top 2024 targets. You know, like you said, we'll talk more about the junior day, but Ben Roebuck from Ohio was in town and he's got a good relationship with Trout. And Penn State has moved up his list doing large parts of that relationship. So, Recruits see these kinds of things. They notice it. They say, hey, look, this position coach is going out and getting some big-time guys. And when they take that into account, I don't think they really take circumstance into account like we are right now with Matthews being a 2025 and, you know, questioning what's going to happen in the future. They just go out and see a position coach doing work, and that's what Charlie is doing right now. And I think that could pay some pretty big dividends for Penn State moving forward, whether it be with the 2024 guys, some more 2025 guys potentially, you know, or getting their eyes a little bit open and saying, hey, look, maybe I want to join this class too. Why not get in early if he's doing this good of a job? I just think it opens the door for Penn State to really overall improve its offensive line recruiting. And we started to see that in 2023 with guys like Javon Williams and Birchmeyer and Donka all being highly touted prospects. I think you're going to continue to see it in 2024. And hey, look. We just saw it in twenty two five this morning. Yeah, and and we'll, we will continue to keep tabs on that cycle. Obviously, right now it's a lot of twenty twenty four, but already uh, it, it, the attention needs to be paid to the twenty twenty five cycle, the sophomores or not. As we got the commitment on board, I'll have a piece up on our site here uh, in the next twenty four hours, looking back at Penn State's initial commitment of the last several classes and what turned out for them. As Tyler said, sometimes when those come very early, they don't always reach the finish line. Sometimes. Guys decommit and work their way back to the class. There's an interesting history there uh, under James Franklin, and, and we'll review that on the site. I know you've got a scouting report to, to take a look at at Lines 24-7. And then uh, we also have Brian Doan, who had the breaking story with a bunch of commentary from Matthews himself about that experience in Happy Valley. He's been to campus several times, why the comfort level was there for him to reach this decision now. And ultimately, 
Uh, as we said, committed to James Franklin in person on Saturday, goes public with his announcement on Monday. But overall, there are some other storylines to get to from Saturday. You did great with your coverage. Brian Doan, Alan True, Steve Wolfong, all contributing at Lions247.com throughout the weekend. It was the third consecutive Saturday where Penn State hosted a Junior Day event. You told our listeners last week it's going to be a pretty big deal to close the month. How do you think they performed, and what are some of the names that people need to know coming out of this past weekend? I think overall you got to be pretty pleased with the performance if you're the Penn State staff. I mean, they helped themselves with a lot of their top guys who made it to campus, as they did. It reminded me of the first junior day of the month in that regard when they got guys like Keelan Adams and Chris Jones on campus and how Penn State really helped itself move up the list for those guys. I think they accomplished the same with a lot of the guys who were on campus this weekend. The one, the one name that I'm really – interested in coming out of the junior days, Jeremiah Bizu, top 24-7 linebacker from Michigan in Belleville High. So he comes to campus without an offer. This was one Penn State staff wanted to deliver in person, kind of like Caleb Brewer last weekend. They were kind of waiting for the right time, wanted to get him in town, deliver that good news in person. And I think with Beasley, that was a decision that honestly really might pay off in the long run because he got to sit down with James Franklin and Manny Diaz and – you know, their conversation went beyond football, but Beasley gained a really good understanding of Diaz's defense and the usage of the linebackers and the way he would be utilizing that scheme. And I think that really opened his eyes to the possibilities at Penn State because Michigan State entered that visit as a pretty profound leader. And then for Beasley to come out of that trip and tell Allen True, hey, look, Penn State's at the top for me now. That's a pretty big deal for a kid who didn't even have an offer, you know, 48 hours before. That's pretty notable. And I mentioned Roebuck. He's another one who he's got the Michigan crystal ball. Wolverines are the favorite there, but Penn State very much in that race. So two Midwest guys who I really, really zoned in on this weekend as big movers in Penn State's favor. There's another name I wanted to get there with you as well, because, uh, you know, wide receiver is a spot. We, we want to see how the board gets reevaluated with new eyeballs on it, with a new position coach uh, who we discussed a lot last week. And, and Hagan's obviously had his opportunity this past weekend to start gaining that familiarity. You know, he posted photos of his sons at, at some Penn State facility. So everyone's kind of getting to the point where they're trying to start to grow some roots here. It's a tough thing to do after spending a decade in Virginia, but Notably, there's a new offer that goes out uh, out of St. Thomas More, a familiar school for those who follow Penn State recruiting coverage at this point. 2024 wide receiver Sage Cloggs, a guy that I believe we saw at camp this past summer, big bodied wide out. And ultimately, they determined they want to get in the mix for him seriously. Yeah, we did see him at camp this past summer. And like you said, yeah. the, the thing that stood out with him was his size. He is a big bodied wide out on the outside. He, he's a guy who will go up and get it in traffic down the field. And I think Penn State, a big reason why they felt comfortable making this offer was Clogs being at St. Thomas Moore. They under, with you know, going and getting Zion Tracy and Joseph McPoy this past cycle, there's been a comfort established at St. Thomas Moore. And I think the Penn State staff is really appreciative and they have a lot of respect for the way St. Thomas Moore develops their guys. I think there's a lot of trust there between the two sides now, you know, stemming from Tracy and Mupoy deciding to call Happy Valley home. And you go out and offer a guy like Clogs, who's still pretty early in his development. The staff liked the way that he developed throughout his junior year. Now you get him to campus in the summer, and you work him out for Marcus Hagan, and you go from there. I think that's the approach that Penn State is taking with Clogs right now. But as for Clogs himself, you know, we're talking about a guy who loves Penn State. And the fact that he has an offer, I mean, that puts Penn State easily at the top of his list from everything he was telling me loves the facilities, loves campus, loves the staff. He feels it's a fit for him on and off the field. So we're going to have to see where this one goes. That workout 
in the summer when clogs make its campus to work out for Higgins. That's going to be very important in the direction this one goes because obviously Higgins hasn't had the chance to see him in person yet coming over from Virginia. So this is all new for him. And how clogs yeah. performs when he does make it to campus, that'll go a pretty long way in determining clogs future and his recruitment from a Penn State perspective. Yeah, I think a lot of the offers you see go out in the winter, whether it's guys in person at these at these uh, junior day oh, settings yeah. or or, yeah. or guys, you know, when the coaches are on the road, a lot of the, the first sentence is, hey, you know, we want to put an offer out for you. And the second part of that sentence is we want to get you on campus to take yep. a longer look at you and evaluate you. And, you know, it's a table setter a, a lot of times this time of year for what you want to accomplish in the spring and into the summer uh, with these high school juniors going toward their senior years. And quickly going back to that 2025 class where Penn State now has a commitment, um, Steve Wolfong had a story up uh, on lines247.com on Saturday night about Bryce Underwood, his family making the trip. He is, as of now, the number one quarterback in all rankings of 24-7 sports for the 2025 class. Always good to get a solid foundation with a player like that. But locally, an in-state offer goes out to Antoine Black Jr., a defensive back. And tell us a little bit about what stood out from your discussion with Black. So Black, my conversation with Black was going to man, he was nervous walking into James Franklin's office to talk to him before <laughs> the offer, man. He he was telling me he didn't know what was gonna happen, he didn't know what to expect. But hey, look, he leaves that office with his first division one offer from Penn State of all programs. That really caught his eye. You know, teammates with Rodney Gallagher over at Laurel Highlands made an impact on the varsity level as a sophomore. He's still figuring out where exactly he wants to play position-wise at the next level, but Penn State likes him at corner. I think that's where he's going to be getting a lot of his looks, and he's very receptive to playing defense and playing in the secondary at the next level. So all is well in that regard. Black Juniors, he's going to be a guy who's going to be making it back to campus in the spring. He's going to be a name we're talking about a lot because it comes back to what we always talk about with Penn State. They're not issuing these early offers to in-state kids if they're not serious. They're just, they're just not going to bother. That's, that's just not the philosophy. So Black Junior, definitely one on the radar to know moving forward. I'd expect him back a bunch spring fall game visits and other junior day coming up we're talking about a guy who's only still a sophomore so there's yeah. a lot of room in his recruitment for him to get back to penn state and a lot of room for other power five programs to get involved as well and before we move on you mentioned bryce underwood see my thing with underwood is him getting to campus so early and getting the family to campus this early in his recruitment it kind of reminds me of what Jaden davis was able to accomplish like what michigan was able to accomplish with Jaden davis their approach with Jaden davis was to win the family over very early. And while obviously he's still not committed to Michigan, and you know there's a lot going on in that recruitment as well, Michigan has established itself as a really top contender due in large part to the relationship that Michigan's coaching staff has with Davis's family. So that kind of just rung a bell with me with Underwood because I think Penn State did a really, really good job with his family over the weekend. And I think that's very important because if the family's comfortable, he'll be back on campus. You know, if the family yeah. is comfortable sending him to Pennsylvania, they'll be back. So good job by the Penn State staff there this weekend, I would say. Just wanted to touch on that. And, of course, your ability to recruit quarterbacks changes completely if Drew Aller goes and delivers mm -hmm. a big sophomore season. Josh Pate talked about this when he joined us on our last episode of the podcast. If you missed it, please go check it out from last Thursday with Josh Pate. Uh, but but big point that he made was Drew Aller goes out there and lives up to the expectations and lives up to all the buzz we're going to hear about during the next eight months leading up to kickoff. All of a sudden, Mike Yursich has a, has a spot in any living room in the country where there's a top-rated quarterback because you've got the proof that on the other side of that recruitment process, you've got the production, you've got the development process happening. 
Uh, but Bryce Underwood, good good quarterback to be in on at this stage of the 2025 cycle, as you talked about. Um, getting to the big picture of takeaways from January, uh, I know there's a couple of names that we just touched on that probably fall into this category, but where was Penn State able to make some strong impressions on their target board through these three visit weekends with the guys coming to campus and, and getting that in-depth experience and face-to-face time with the coaching staff? So right off the bat, two Virginia guys jump out to me, and Keelan Adams and Chris Jones. And with Adams, I think this was already kind of in motion before Hagens was even the hire to replace Taylor Stubblefield. Granted, Adams has a good relationship with Hagens, and that goes back to you know Virginia's recruitment of him. And now he's got a wide receivers coach in place at Penn State who he's already very, very comfortable with. But Penn State was already pushing all the right buttons with Adams. They got him on campus for that first junior day of the month. Things went very, very well. And it comes down to just him seeing his fit in Penn State's offense, he thinks that what he, he thinks that Yurgis's scheme plays to his strengths as a wideout, and that's that's obviously huge. That goes without saying, regardless of who the position coach is, that's big. And Adams is well aware of how he could fit in, and he's high on Penn State at this point in his recruitment. The other Virginia guy, Chris Jones. I mean, you talk about the relationship with Kenny Sanders. You know, keeping that one in the family. He makes it to campus, loves his visit, loves it, raved about it to Brian Dawn. He's going to be back for an official at some point. So those two Virginia guys, I think Penn State really did some good work with them throughout the month. Another one, this is kind of a newer name, I would say, Jamonta Waller from Mississippi. He made it to campus this past weekend for junior day. And when a guy from Mississippi makes it to Penn State in January, that's always notable. (laughs) You know I mean? Yeah. We're talking about a guy from SEC country with SEC offers, and you can see why if you go look at his tape. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's the kind of player that regardless of where you're at, you know, when in terms of numbers at a position, he's kind of just a guy you take because he's that good. And I think he has that much potential. He's high on Penn State coming out of that junior day visit. So the staff did a really good job with him. Another guy I would expect back in the spring. Now, shifting back to offense real quick, we've talked a lot about the potential for this to be a two quarterback class. And if there is going to be a two quarterback class, I think there's a good chance Samaj Jones might have a say in that at the end. He was on campus earlier in the month for a junior day and he anointed Penn State as his top school and he's got a lot of traits that Penn State likes and he's just the mindset I know one thing that I've heard with him is just his mindset man as a quarterback he's tough as nails and the staff really loves that about him so if this does become a two quarterback situation I think Jones has a really good opportunity to be a guy who sticks at Penn State so there are a lot of guys and I'll have I'm planning an article on this for the beginning of February there were a lot of guys in January that came to Penn State liked their visit, came out of the visit saying, hey, look, Penn State has either moved up my list or at the top of my list. And I don't think that's just lip service. I think Penn State did a really good job setting these junior days up, giving these guys the full experience of what it would be like to be a Division One athlete at a Big Ten program like Penn State. They laid it all out there for them and made their moves. And now we're a long way away from the spring when guys are going to be setting officials. So we're going to have to see – who actually winds up taking an official to Penn State and who winds up making it back to campus. But Penn State's stock up with a lot of guys right now. And I think going into February, that's really where you want to be. Yeah. And, and you're entering a dead period now with February at the end of January. And the, the big thing here, it's a contentious situation to make sure you can get one of the you know, guys on campus for one of those three weekends because they've got options. The window's going to close on their visit period. They're going to get into other sports, whatever they got going on in high school. And then all of a sudden you may not be able to get them back until June, July. Uh, that's just the way it works sometimes. So a lot of stuff accomplished for Penn State. 
off the field as well, beyond just the, the 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 prospects and making sure they're on on the on the on your campus, it's the fact that Penn State has ensured that their staff is going to be ready to handle some business here in the coming months. Um, Daniel Gowan, who we'll hear from in just a moment, had a story up on Monday uh, about the retention of Dion Barnes, former Penn State player, uh, a guy who has been a graduate assistant the last couple of years, has been lauded by members of the locker room by other members of the coaching staff as a rising star of sorts in the coaching world. A guy who could contribute has, has gotten a lot of love for what he's done with the edge rushers on this Penn State roster the last couple of seasons. Of course, that was a, a big part of what he did as a player here at Penn State. And he's sticking around. Um, he's going to be uh, staying on the staff. And we also learned that Khalil Ahmed is joining the staff, and that has already happened. He's made that transition. Lastly, most recently, I should say, with the Syracuse staff and Break that one down for us a little bit and then get back to Deion Barnes because I know that's one that when when that became official that he's going to be here for 2023 and they've got a role for him. We weren't sure if that would happen. That, that's one that certainly uh, take notice of if you follow Penn State recruiting. So I think Penn State has a desire overall to get back more involved with New Jersey. Now, as a New Jersey native and someone who sees a lot of high school football in New Jersey, I would say the high-end talent in the state might not necessarily be what it was when guys like Jabril Peppers and Rashawn Gary were in high school, but there's still a lot here in the Garden State. And I think Penn State has a desire to kind of explore that a little bit more than they have in past cycles. I mean, Jalen Matthews is their first New Jersey commitment since I mean Vanover in 2020. We're talking about a long time now at this point. You know, that's just the fact of it. It's been a while since Penn State went into Jersey and got a guy and, you know, eventually closed on him. So yeah. I think this hire, a lot of that was driven. This is this hire. I think a lot of that was driven by a desire to get more involved in New back more involved in New Jersey. And he has a lot of relationships in New Jersey. He's well respected throughout the state, man, from north to south. You know, we're talking about he did a lot of good things at Syracuse. He was actually given the chance to recruit on field or excuse me, off campus. Off campus when Syracuse was going through the rash of staff changes it made this offseason. And he was working Jersey, and he's just got a lot of respect in the area, man. So I think that was a really good move for Penn State. Whenever you can strengthen your overall recruiting staff that Andy Frank and Kenny Sanders have going there and just add to the depth of it, you're only putting yourself in the best position to succeed on the trail. And then, you know, Barnes, man, I tweeted this because this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. You, you can't overstate what Deion Barnes has meant to Penn State since he's been here as a grad assistant. He's basically John Scott Jr.'s trusted lieutenant at this point. He played a big part in putting together this defensive line board for the 2023 cycle. He played a big part in developing the guys who are on campus right now. And mm -hmm. every almost every defensive line prospect that I've talked to, Deion Barnes comes up, and that's unsolicited. It's not even me asking about it. He just comes up because so many kids love him. <laughs> I, I mentioned defensive line. Kevin Haywood over on the offensive line, he used to work with Deion Barnes directly, and this is a big deal for him. We're talking about one of Penn State's top 2024 targets, so there's levels to this. So bringing him back for another year as an analyst and just keeping him around, huge, huge move. This was something Penn State wanted to accomplish. They, they knew this was coming, right? They, they knew they were going to have to figure out a spot for Barnes at some point. And they did. They moved swiftly to get it done. They didn't want to let him leave the building, and I don't blame them based on the feedback I've received from recruits. It's a big deal. Dude, keeping a guy like him around, one who played at Penn State nonetheless, a guy very passionate and loves the program, James Franklin made a pretty good call here.
Yeah, not just the history in Happy Valley, but the history in Philadelphia. He yeah. was a, a big-time player at Northeast High in Philly. He was the defensive coordinator there when they had some big runs. He's been instrumental in getting guys out of Philly, which is always going to be important for Penn State. And, and I misspoke earlier. He actually had three years as a grad assistant. I think that was impacted, like everything, by COVID. Um, it opened up an opportunity, like you said, been working side-by-side side since really John Scott showed up to campus after making the move from the SEC. And now you've got a guy 30 years old in Deion Barnes that – You'll be keeping a close eye on here. He feels like he's a defensive line coach in the making. Is that going to be eventually at Penn State sometime? Is that going to be somewhere else? Regardless, right now in 2023, you've got him on board for another go-round. I think that's a big win uh, for this Penn State staff. Let's finish here before we bring in Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallen. I can't believe it, it takes us so long to even touch on it, but the February signing day is here. It used to be the biggest deal on the planet in our world. Right now it's just kind of a day because of everything else we're, we're, we're controlling and, and we're trying to cover. But one name stands out, looms large, kind of just like last year. Vega Ioane was the name to know going into that Wednesday. We're there this Wednesday with signing day, and there's one guy that we're really focused on. Yeah, Chimdi Ono. Man, before we get into his recruitment, I just want to talk about his rise. Just from going to being an old Dominion commit, relatively unknown in Dundalk down in Maryland, and now he's a top 24-7 prospect. He's in the top 150 now in our final rankings. Just – Heck of a rise for him, man. You've seen programs like Penn State, Michigan State, Ole Miss, Rutgers, all really go all in on him. And you see the upside. And I would say coming out of his stretch of official visits that included Rutgers in December and then Penn State, Michigan State, and Ole Miss this month, I think Penn State's in a pretty good spot heading into February. All the the recent buzz has favored Penn State. And that's while he took an official to Michigan State and while he was on the official to Ole Miss. I think Michigan State made a pretty strong push on multiple fronts. I, I think specifically the NIL front, they did a really good job. But Penn State's not lost in the woods in that regard with Ono and NIL. You know, the, 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 they're handling their business there as well. So I think the relationship with Phil Trotwin here is big. I think that's probably the best relationship he has of any of the offensive line coaches who are after him. I think that relationship has come along really nicely. So – I would anticipate right now on a Monday morning <laughs> that Penn State is in the best spot to close on this recruitment come February. And it's wild, like you said, man, now it's kind of just another day where we're only really talking about one target and this used to be the day. It's it's yeah. a crazy, it's a crazy change, but Penn State in a big position to make some noise in February. Yeah, and I don't want to like set aside how important of a day this is for guys like Ono who are oh, yeah. stepping up and, and making their decision on Wednesday. But we used to be even guys who were enrolled. You're still waiting for them to officially yeah. sign uh, in the past, and, and now it's just not the same setup. But hey, a, a lot to, to cover with you here in the last 25 minutes. Appreciate all the heavy lifting that you do for us at Lions247.com here on the podcast and breaking all this stuff down. We'll see what happens on Wednesday as we put the final bow on this 2023 recruiting cycle. But clearly, 2024, 2025 already warrant our attention thanks for your work tyler always man appreciate it we'll be right back on the lines 24 7 podcast another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, looking ahead, we've got Penn State basketball coming away from a big victory on Sunday, one that it felt like they really needed to remain in that March Madness conversation, and they did it emphatically. We bring in Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan, who are at the BJC for that matchup between Penn State and Michigan. And uh, before we get there, Miles Sanders is in the Super Bowl, and I want to bring in our Eagle resident Eagles fan here and Mark Brennan. Um, two touchdowns in the NFC title game against the San Francisco 49ers. One week after playing against his old teammate, Saquon Barkley, it's been a nice run of buzz for Penn State at the pro level in the form of these running backs. Miles Sanders gets two more weeks of it leading up to a Super Bowl appearance against the Kansas City Chiefs. Mark, you've known Miles. You've covered him for a while. Now you're following him with your favorite team. What stands out to you about number 26? Uh, This has to be the biggest moment in his life since he shared the cover of Sports Illustrated with me. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember. Ab <laughs> State, Ab State, yeah, of course. I, do. I was kind of in the background. I'm joking. I was on the sideline wearing some uh, Aqua shirt uh, back when we were still able to videotape game stuff. Uh, but but no, it's it's really cool to see. Listen, we saw. I remember seeing him at camps at Penn State. I mean, I remember going to. Geez, one of the uh, one of the camps in Columbus and watching him. You know, always just a. a not that Saquon was overstated because Saquon was kind of mild mannered as well, but he was um, just a little bit more outgoing. And Miles was always like kind of a a quiet guy who did his talking on the field. And what a great example for somebody who ended up in, in a college program behind one of the greatest running backs of all time at Penn State and really anywhere. I mean, if you look at Saquon's numbers, they were pretty crazy in what he was able to do. Waited his turn, got his opportunity. And now, arguably, he's a better professional running back than Saquon. Now, Saquon's obviously been impacted by injuries, uh, but it's been very cool to see. And then, you know, the other aspect of it is it when of it is when we cover these guys at Penn State, you, you can't be a fan. I mean, you don't hope wish poorly for anybody, and and it's better for them and it's better for us if the team does well. But you have to be very objective when they get to the next level. It's fun to be able to cheer for some of these guys who you got to know and you know their personality. So it's very fun to see. Guy's always been a great representative of Penn State. He's been a great representative of that Pittsburgh area. Uh, so just having a lot of fun uh, and and kind of contrasting it with the way an, another former Nittany Lions kind of hand, <laughs> handling himself, Micah Parsons. Could he just shut his yap at some point? I love Micah Parsons, but my God, uh, he just he, he keeps getting himself into trouble on Twitter. You know, guy, guy's tremendous. That's what happens when you become a Dallas Cowboy, I guess. You have <laughs> Jerry Jones and yap, 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 yap. But uh, no, in all seriousness, it's, it's been fun to watch Miles. And, and I wish Micah nothing but the best on all but two, two days of the year or three if they ever meet in the playoffs, which probably isn't going to happen. Mark, I think, I think uh, Micah's social media adventures begin before he put on that Dallas Cowboys uniform. But, but yeah, maybe when he's at Ohio like- State on a visit, right? 
He's a lightning rod for sure. And he's a guy that, that, you know, obviously Penn state, he's at the wrestling match uh, as we had photos of it on the site. He's a guy that, that continues to, to help Penn state's brand in his own way. But Miles Sanders here, as we said, you get the next two weeks where he's going to be a central figure in the buildup to this. And, and Daniel, you covered the Philadelphia Eagles before you made the transition to the Penn state beat. Um, you saw Miles Sanders a bit earlier in his career now he's staying to make a lot of money. He's doing this at the right time of his first NFL deal. I'm curious to where you've seen the, maybe the biggest strides because you had that kind of day-to-day, week-to-week look at Miles as we were moving on you know, and, and focusing on the current Penn State running back. Yeah, yeah, I was there in, in 2019 when, when Miles got drafted and was there virtually uh, in, in 2020 as well. And it was just you know kind of cool to watch him you know, mature a little bit and, you know, from a distance these past two years, really see him come into his own as kind of that A1 running back that I think a lot of people were expecting him to be uh, when, you know, the Eagles drafted him in the second round. There are some comparisons to LaShawn McCoy when he got to Philadelphia because McCoy was the last running back the Eagles had drafted that high. They drafted him number 53 overall in 2009, I believe it was. And then, there's Miles Sanders, number 53 overall uh, in 2019. So there were some parallels there early. Um, but I think a big thing with watching Miles was just someone that was really trying to go out on his own um, and really kind of strike his own path. We all know that at Penn State, he was in Saquon's shadow. Then you get to the NFL and you're in, not only are you in the same division as Saquon Barkley, you also end up with number 26 the yeah. same number as him. Uh, Jordan Howard already had number 24 with the Eagles. And so, you know, kind of talking to him and, you know, seeing him kind of want to be his own person, trying to figure out how to make that work, especially in a locker room in 2019, which still had a lot of veteran guys. Um, you know, I thought that that was really, uh, you know, it was, it was really cool to see. And I think also he had some perspective and, and some awareness on kind of what his situation is as a running back in the NFL, uh, especially with an organization like the Eagles that has handled running back like they have over these past couple of years. You know, Miles had some comments uh, in ESPN stories to The Athletic um, where he is kind of aware that this, you know, you know, this might be it uh, in Philadelphia. They don't give big money to running backs. He is someone that is going to have the chance to get uh, big money. So it'll be, you know, pretty interesting. He says that he wants to stay in Philadelphia, obviously, that's kind of what what a lot of people say in, in that situation. Um, but he'll have at least two more weeks in, in Midnight Green. And I think that this type of season that he's put together, an absolutely career year, um, over a thousand yards for the first time, 11 touchdowns uh, for the, you know, the most in his career after getting zero last year. Um, I was texting with someone who covers the Eagles a couple weeks ago, and we have no idea what happened to him as a receiver. Uh, because he was amazing uh, out of the backfield as a rookie in 2019. And that's kind of disappeared from his game recently. But um, it'll be really cool to see. And, uh, you know, looking at someone, you know, he's 25 now. He's, you know, really kind of coming into his own. And he'll have a chance on a really big stage. And, you know, that can be a good thing for Penn State with some of the running backs they uh, have on the roster right now. Yeah, that's it's not a hard product to sell right now. Running back at Penn State, but Saquon Barkley and Miles Sanders, those guys are about to really raise the uh, the ceiling, I guess. For when, when you talk about uh, the earning potential of NFL players who have come from Penn State, those guys are both the set to cash in this upcoming offseason. Sanders finished the regular season top ten in rushing yards. 
uh, rushing attempts and rushing touchdowns and uh, more success in the playoffs, 90 yards on the ground against the Giants a couple weeks ago, and then two touchdowns scored against the San Francisco 49ers. Congrats to Miles. He was a joy to work with. He's a guy that really only had that one year in the spotlight. He had plenty of spotlight as a, as a five-star level recruit coming out of high school, uh, but he was exactly what J1 Slater, James Franklin, say they want in a running back, someone who's going to commit to the program, understand that they may not be the best running back their first year or second year, but they can see that light at the end of the tunnel. And when their opportunity comes, they take it and they enter the NFL with, you know, relatively uh, light wear and tear compared to a lot of guys who spent three years uh, carrying the load for their offensive teams. Let's focus on basketball now. Again, congrats to Miles, but Hoops was in focus on Sunday and we were going to be talking about this one way or the other. Tailspin situation or a really impressive bounce back. And it was a bounce back. Mark, not only did they beat Michigan uh, coming off of a really, really poor performance that their coach let them know about at Rutgers, but they made no doubt about it and built a huge lead on Sunday afternoon in Happy Valley. Yeah, I think it tells you about kind of the the the, the feel that that uh, Micah Shrewsbury has for the pulse of his team. You know, they lose by twenty at Rutgers, and that game, if you watched it, that really wasn't a twenty point game. That was more of like a ten to twelve point loss. Rutgers left its starters in until the end, which is fine. I have no problem with that. Penn State puts its its, its scrubs in with three minutes to go, and and, and it got a little, uh, you know, a little crazy toward the end. But nevertheless, you know, after the after that game, Shrewsbury, you could only play this card once or twice a year. But he basically he didn't basically he called his his team soft, <laughs> and then Dave Jones said, "Well, how else would you describe it?" And and Daniel and I texted each other at the same time. He said "petite," and we both laughed about the you know "petite." What what does that even mean in yeah. terms of in, ter in terms of basketball? But my point being, not great, not great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my point being is, if you do that after every loss, you're going to lose your team. But he picked his spot. And it turned out to be obviously the right spot. I mean, this guy's a good coach. I mean, I think every time we, we're seeing him develop as a head coach, I mean, clearly he had the, the, the chops, you know, X's and O's, Y's and all those things, uh, working with Brad Stevens and working with Matt Painter, you know, at the NBA and at the college level. So, so clearly he's got the intelligence for it, but we're seeing him de develop all of these kind of feel things. And that, to me, was as impressive as the win over Michigan. The fact that he pushed the buttons and the team responded. The other thing that well, he did, he made a change in the starting lineup. Uh, so he brings in Mikey Hen, who, was play, who played in, uh, I'm looking at the stats now, 12 games before that. Didn't start a single game. He's at his fifth college. He's probably 29 years old. I'm joking. I think he's 24, 25. Uh, but they decide to start him, and they put Caleb Dorsey back into the uh, – I remembered his name this time, Daniel. Uh, they put Caleb Dorsey back into the lineup. And the, the thing about that is it's not necessarily just that they played well. It's that somehow he kept these guys engaged. You know, Caleb Dorsey was a guy who began the season as a starter, and in recent weeks we've barely seen him. And Michael Henn, I mean, there was a game a couple games ago, I forget which one, where he played like – a minute in the first half and that was it and somehow you keep these guys engaged so we could look at, at at all the things that went right technically against Michigan and a lot of things went right we've talked all season long about when Penn State's hitting the three ball it can really compete with anybody uh, that was the case against Michigan but the feel that Micah Shrewsbury is showing for this team 
to me, has just been amazing, and I think it speaks to his development as a young head coach. He's only a second year as a head coach, uh, first time coaching as a head coach at this level. He coached kind of at the junior college level way back when. But you can see him developing, and it's fun to see a, a young coach learning these subtleties because that's what separates you know all college coaches are smart people it's the ones who have the feel for these things that are the best ones and I think you're starting to see Micah Shrewsbury develop those things Daniel Shrewsbury had that emotional appeal of sorts after the Purdue loss uh, at the Palestra uh, they come back with a 19 point victory over Indiana on their home court uh, Obviously, the Rutgers game, he said a lot about his team and where they were. Uh, they come back and, and they blow out Michigan. You look at the Big Ten standings right now. You've got Purdue, who they, they saw not too long ago, at 21-1 and overall. They're 10-1 and in the conference. Northwestern has a 6-3 and record in the conference. But you've got nine teams right now bunched up in this conference who've got four, five, or six losses. For them to get back to 500 in those conference standings on Sunday and prove to 14-7 and overall, how do you think we might circle what happened on January 29th when we look at Penn State's situation for March Madness? Yeah, I'm, with, with how kind of week to week the Big Ten has been this year, I've really tried to keep the you know a really big picture perspective. Um, I think something that I tweeted after the Rutgers game was that you know at 5:45 p.m. Tuesday, Penn State was on the NCAA tournament bubble. At 8:45 p.m., they were still on the NCAA tournament bubble. And I kind of have the same feeling as, as yesterday's win over Michigan. Before the game, they were a bubble team. After the game, I think they're still a bubble team. Um, obviously, maybe they go from you know fifth team out to first team in. Um, but the way that we've seen with some of these you know almost daily bracketology things that it's just a lot of you know very very small shifts. Um, and Penn State is just at the point where they're at that tier where it's either in or out. So I think. You know, as we get a little further into February um, in a couple of weeks, then we really see that that margin for air really, really start to, to get smaller. Um, but I do think what we saw yesterday was, a, you know, that's a good sign. You know, you need to beat a team, um, you know, like Michigan that is kind of going through its own struggles. I think that it would be fair to say that there, you know, there are there are talented players on that team. I mean, Jet Howard was really, really good. Uh, yesterday, um, you know, Hunter Dickinson has been a good college player for the majority of his career. Um, but I think as we, but that's the type of game you need to win. You're at home, you have a good crowd behind you. You're going up against a team that hasn't necessarily been itself this year. Um, and you do it handily really leave no doubt. Um, I think that in terms of confidence and, you know, proving something, I think that that'll go uh, a long way, you know, for Penn state this season. It might, it's not the type of win that, you know, puts you firmly off of the bubble into the tournament. But I think that with how Penn State has been this year um, and kind of weathering these, you know, really almost seesawing uh, effect with, with some of the results that they've had, I, I think that it bodes well for them um, moving forward. But, you know, we've got 10 games to go. Uh, that's, you know, in college basketball, that's that's a third of the season. It's a long way to go. Um, you know, it's a 31-game, I guess, half marathon as opposed to that 12 game college football sprint. So you kind of, it's, you can't really afford to live and die with every single game. Um, but as the season goes on and the bubble picture starts to really clear up, Penn state starts to figure out really where it stands nationally. Then I think the pressure gets up, but 
you know, I think we can look at this game as another example of how Penn State is really resilient. And that's a trait that I think can really travel and can really carry you, you know, through February and potentially deeper into March. Starting with a, a road upset at Illinois on December 10th, uh, Penn State won five consecutive games through New Year's Day when they beat Iowa. They improved to 11 and three. Since then, I'm doing the math real quick in my head four and four, uh, I should say three and four, Mark Brennan. Uh, one of those losses came against Purdue three weeks ago in the Palestra. Uh, number one ranking. They are well ahead in Big Ten Conference race, and they are next up for Penn State. A trip to Purdue on Wednesday evening, followed by a trip to Nebraska the following Sunday. But just focusing ahead, you've already seen this matchup once. You both were there in person. What, in your opinion, Mark, must Penn State do to flip the script and put themselves in a position where maybe they're putting Purdue on upset alert deep into that contest on Wednesday night? Yeah, I, you know, first thing, that, that's why the Michigan win was so big, right? Because you lose that game and all of a sudden you're four and six going to Purdue. And then you're staring down four and seven, and, and it's like, whoa! I mean, uh, that's going to be a difficult situation. You know, I like what um, I like what the coaching staff did with Mikey Hen um, and with Caleb Dorsey, uh, getting them in there in, in the way they defended Hunter Dickinson. You know, he's a seven foot one. You know, he's going to be an NBA player, and they basic basically put Mikey Hen behind him, and then had everybody else kind of digging down and double, triple, quadruple teaming him. And I think that's what you're going to have to do against Zach Eady. Now, there's a big difference, okay? Michigan had one guy, Jet Howard, who really made Penn State play or pay, I'm sorry, for the doubling down. Jet Howard's going to be a lottery pick. I don't know if you agree with that, I mean, Daniel, but seeing him in person. Yeah, yeah I can see it. Yeah. He, he is good, man. He's like 6'8 and can shoot. Uh, but they had nobody else who could shoot. And that, and that was the – that's not Purdue. And that's going to be the issue. So, But I think you, you have no other choice because you had Zach Eady, who had 30 points in the last game, if I'm not incorrect. It was right around, what was it, 29, 30 points, Daniel? I think it was like 32. Yeah, 32. So he has 32 against Penn State in the, in the previous game. That obviously didn't work for Penn State. So I think you try the same thing. And, you know, the thing about Mikey Hanny is he's 6'8", 240, not athletic at all, uh, but he loves the physical play. And you need that against the seven four three hundred pound guy, and it's it will not work. It will not be as effective as it was against Hunter Dickinson for two reasons. Purdue has better outside shooters all around, and Hunter Dickinson looks soft to me. I I, I mean I I'm just looking at this guy and I'm thinking he should have had thirty in that game, and he just did, did had he had no aggressiveness, and that's not Zach Eady. But I think you have to try that at least and maybe get Edie out of his game, maybe get him to pick up an offensive foul or two. I think that those are the, are the key things. Uh, you know, for Penn State, what we saw in the last game is they were playing really well against Purdue. They were up whatever, four, six, whatever it was at the half, and came out and had one of those long droughts. They cannot afford to have that against this Purdue team. Purdue's just too good. So does Penn State have a puncher's chance? It does if the three balls falling, but what have we seen with this team this year shooting over 42? It's probably even higher than that. Now uh, percent from the three point uh, line at the BJC, but not shooting that, that well, everybody else they did. So at Illinois, but you know, at Rutgers, they were three of 26 or whatever the heck it was. Uh, so they really have to, to, to hit their threes. And I think they have to be really physical with Zach Eady and hope things break your way. 
but I just don't know that man for man they're talented enough to pull off this upset. We'll see. Rutgers won there. I mean, Rutgers, but you know, Rutgers is a much better defensive team. Uh, Micah Shrewsbury made no bones about how tough Rutgers was uh, against Penn State, but Rutgers was able to pull that off at at, at Purdue. Uh, Penn State's going to have to hit the three ball, going to have to do as well as it can do against ED and hope that maybe Purdue doesn't make a lot of three-point shots. A one-point loss to Rutgers on January 2nd remains Purdue's only loss in the season. ED, by the way, uh, against Michigan State on Sunday went for 38 points, 13 rebounds, so he's coming in hot. Uh, and and, and you, you've got your hands full with that matchup on Wednesday uh, for Penn State. I wanted to finish off because I think we, we went this entire time without speaking too much on Jalen Pickett, but my final kind of point here and, and and topic of discussion, Daniel, is the fact that kind of ho-hum, he leads them in rebounds, assists, and points uh, again against Michigan, 25-8-8. Eight eight. Uh, a few weeks ago against Purdue, he was a big spark plug and a big part of the reason why they held the lead at halftime. He ended up with 26-9-8 and eight against the, the Boilermakers that, that evening. Do you feel like there is a – what's the better route, a course of route here? Is it him going and, and playing – Big time ball, or is that not sustainable against Purdue? Does it have to be a distribution of wealth? Because that, to me, didn't seem to to sustain into the second half. Whether it's fair or not to him, Purdue was able to adjust, and it doesn't feel like Penn State, that supporting cast, was able to to do its part to keep Penn State involved as that second half got away from them. I thought Mark did a good job of really laying out uh, Pickett's impact against Michigan in, in his top take takeaways piece, where Pickett came out really hot. He had nine of their first 11 points. He had 14 points in basically the first eight plus minutes. Uh, he was not afraid. He was aggressive. Um, he got into the lane and you know Michigan didn't really want to have anything to do with him once he got down in there. Um, and then as the game went on, you saw him morph more into that distributor role with Michigan making some adjustments and he was really able to find some, some open players to, to make plays. So I think that when Penn State is at its best, you get, the, the best of both worlds um, with Pickett. I, I feel like I have the thought almost every week where you look at Pickett's stat line. Like, you know, yesterday it was 25, 8, and 8. He's trying to become the second player since 2000, I believe, to average 17, 7, and 7 um, on the season. And you kind of think, ah, uh, this isn't really that sustainable. You know, this, yeah, some, you know, he's going to get cold or, or something's going to happen at some and point. And who is the other one, Daniel? Denzel Valentine from right. uh, from Michigan State, who was a, a big time player in the Big Ten. So I, I think that Pickett has really kept this going, but he is at his best and Penn State is at its best when you can get Andrew Funk and Seth Lundy uh, to step up. I think the fact that we saw Mikey Hen hit those open shots that he was getting um, was a, a pretty big development. Um, but you know, Penn State just needs they need a, a third guy to step up in every game. Um, because, you know, Pickett has, I think, established that game in, game out, what you're going to get. Um, Seth Lundy really quietly, I think, has been super consistent this year. I believe there's been only two games where he hasn't reached double figures. So you're getting him uh, pretty much night in and night out. But the that question is, who's going to be the third guy? Um, in that Purdue game at the Palestra, they never got that third guy to step up. It was Pickett and it was Lundy. And then, there, you know, Cam Winter was off, Andrew Funk was off, uh, Miles Dredd was off. So you look at what Penn State needs to do. They need to get a third or fourth person to step up, um, and that hasn't really been a guarantee. But then you look at a game like yesterday where Funk starts hitting those threes, um, and then Mikey Hen steps up as the fourth scorer. 
Um, that's what Penn State is going to need if they want to, you know, make some noise in the Big Ten tournament, in the NCAA tournament. But you know, Pickett is going to give them a chance. It feels like uh, every night. At this point, Pickett averaging 17.6 points per game, eight rebounds, seven assists, shooting 51% from the field. As we said, Penn State now a couple Big Ten road trips uh, with Purdue up next on Wednesday, Nebraska on Sunday, and then they are back home next Wednesday uh, for a nighttime tip-off against Wisconsin. Gentlemen, appreciate the coverage of Penn State basketball, bringing that knowledge here onto the podcast. Talk to you real soon. I got I got one more Super Bowl note real quick. Uh, what do you got? As a, a poster pointed this out uh, after the game last night, uh, Zach McPherson, another former Nittany Lion uh, who spent the beginning of his career at Penn State before transferring to Texas Tech, has carved out a nice little role as, as a special teamer um, with the Eagles. So, you know, it says Texas Tech next to his name on on all the NFL uh, websites, but. He spent some time in Happy Valley. Uh, I talked to him uh, before the NFL draft in 2021 uh, at, at my old job. And, you know, he spoke very fondly uh, about his time at Penn State, kind of giving him the chance to, you know, have that base. So when he went to Texas Tech, he was able to be a really, really effective cornerback and put himself in this position. So that I didn't want to leave him out. Um, and that because that had slipped my mind yesterday while I was watching that game. We remember Zach pretty well around here. So another name to keep an eye on there for, for Penn State fans in that Super Bowl matchup a couple weeks away. Daniel, Mark, appreciate you. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Yep. Thanks. All right. Good stuff from all of our colleagues at Lions247.com. Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallon, Tyler Calvaruso for the first half of this show, breaking down the commitment from Jalen Matthews. A lot more on that commitment at Lions247.com, including a scouting report, a bunch of quotes from Matthews himself about why this was the right time to make this move. And I'll have a piece up on the site here coming up soon. Uh, looking back at each of the initial commitments that have come on board uh, for the last several cycles as Penn State jump-started their recruiting classes, now underway with 2025 uh, as we look forward uh, on the recruiting trail, as we always do. We're back with another episode later this week. We'll break down everything that went down on that Wednesday, uh, February signing day, whether Chimdi Ono is on board or not. We're going to have a reaction to that. Could be a really big addition for Penn State. James Franklin on signing day back in December pointing to three areas of emphasis that they wanted to address in the winter, if possible. One was defensive back. They have since added an all-conference performer from North Carolina in transfer Storm Duck. The other was wide receiver. They have since added uh, two players there in Dante Cephas and Malik McLean to their 2023 plans. And the other was offensive line, specifically focusing on tackle. And as Calvaruso talked about on his appearance here on the podcast, you won't find a lot of tackles who were considered risers in 24-7 sports rankings down the stretch like Chim Diono. Follow our coverage at lions247.com leading up to Wednesday for the latest on where that recruitment is heading and plenty on the 2024 and 2025 classes coming out of all these junior day visits. A lot of coverage for our VIP subscribers. Hop on board now. We've got a ton coming your way uh, for the site. Heading up to spring ball, which is not too far away around the corner as February starts. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast. It has been an absolutely eventful January. We're closing the book on it for now. We're back with our next episode to begin February. Talk to you real soon. I'm Tyler Donahue right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. <laughs> 
And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.